Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 79 for October 2021. I'm your co-host, Chief Engineer Ken Gagney, and joining me as always is O-Captain, my captain, Sabriel Mastin. Hello, Sabriel. Hello, fighting fascism is a full-time job. It is. Oh my god, we are so busy. And we have some special <laughs> guests joining us, coming back for her fifth appearance on Transporter Lock, and her first time talking about Lower Decks is Chief Archivist Amanda. Hello, Amanda. Hello, hello. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me back. It's always a pleasure to have a fellow Trekkie on here. Of course, all our guests are Trekkies, but Amanda, your knowledge is exhaustive and verbose, <laughs> and we always enjoy hearing from you. It would be really interesting to have a, a guest on Transporter Lock who isn't a Trekkie. I was thinking oh, yeah. that too. And just be like, <laughs> here, watch Star Trek, having never really been into it. Now tell us your feelings. Just one episode with no context. Go. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we had somebody on the show last year, Kay. They started watching Discovery with me, season three, having never seen season one or two before. And their previous history of Star Trek was intermittent, but enjoyable. And so I don't know if that counts as a Trekkie or not, but you're right. Somebody who has never seen any Star Trek whatsoever, if we were to just drop them down to episode one, season one of some of the series, that might be a future fun episode. That could be really neat. (laughs) Or you could just do a bunch of the short tracks. But in the meantime, we have yet another guest. If you're hearing a fourth voice on that show, that's because we're also joined by Ensign Model Builder, Andrew. Hello, Andrew. Hello. Thank you for having me on. I could have sworn I had been on here before. I find it shocking that I never have been. I think it's right up there with the Buckaroo Banzai sequel. You know, it exists in our dreams and in Schenectady. I've seen it. (laughs) Yeah, it was great. I mean, I've reviewed it. My review can be found online. (laughs) <laughs> it's so sad that it was <laughs> it was so sad that it was direct to video you know i'll be sure to drop a link to that in the show notes so andrew <laughs> tell us about yourself what is your connection to this motley crew and to star trek so i am amanda's husband i guess that connects me to you folks because we've watched star trek together at pax and we've hung out with each other at various meetings How did I come to Star Trek? Uh, Mostly through Next Generation, because I am the same age as as Will Wheaton. So when Next Generation started, I was very much enjoying the self-insert, and that was a lot of fun, and I just never stopped. As for myself, in the internets, I'm generally known as Tanatos, and can mostly these days be found painting miniatures on twitch.tv slash Tanatos. Awesome. I'll drop a link to that in the show notes. Do you have a favorite Star Trek? For many people, their first Trek is their favorite. Would TNG be yours? Ooh. Uh, so because I started I started with the first season of TNG, which I did record faithfully and watched many a time, I cannot say that it is my favorite because the first season of TNG was somewhat uneven. That's putting it mildly. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was uneven. I would say it was pretty evenly bad. <laughs> and this is coming from someone who loves TNG, but the, that first season is rough. Yeah. So, <laughs> But later seasons, I guess, that is my Star Trek. 
there were times when I was in college and it would get preempted for football games and I would curse uproariously. The worst. Oh man, it was terrible. Uh, And of course, which will be related to today's episode of this show, when the first to be continued appeared on the screen during a showing at my dorm room and everybody screamed in horror. Uh, Yeah, so Star Trek Next Generation definitely has a special place in my heart. Mine as well. And I actually was talking with another Star Trekkie the other day, or a Trek fan, and we didn't realize that we were both Trek fans. And we started sharing what we have in common. And he said, Ken, you know, I don't care what you like or don't like as long as you don't diss on Deep Space Nine. And I was like, oh my God, how could I? It was like serial storytelling before anybody else was doing that. It was a role model single black father, which you often don't see. It was one of the best Star Treks ever. He's like, oh, phew. I'm glad we can be friends. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea that a Trekkie would diss on Deep Space Nine, I, I know that happened back then. They're like, oh, they're on a space station. They don't go anywhere. But I think it's earned its due looking back. I mean, I feel like I get more trouble saying that I'm not a huge fan of DS9 than any other way. And I'm not not a fan of it because it's not good. It's very good. It's uh you know, just personal issues I've got with having watched it at a time when I was in a very bad brain space. And so the associations for it for me aren't good. But I have to explain that every time I tell people, oh, yeah, I'm not really big on DS9. Because they're like, what? How dare? I'm like, no, it's not that I, it's not that I think it's bad. It's just poor O'Brien. <laughs> Oh my god, they beat up on him so badly. Poor O'Brien! That poor man! <laughs> oh, he but needs some therapy. As Lower Deck showed us, he <laughs> also eventually gets his due. Yes. So, we are here today to talk about the last two episodes of the second season of Lower Decks, and then we'll take a brief look back at the season in its entirety. But let's start with Season 2, Episode 9, Wish Dush! Mm. Ah, there you go, you did well. Okay. Cool, thanks. I was practicing that. So this is the lower decks across a variety of alien species. We saw humans, well, not just humans, but we saw a Starfleet vessel, Klingons, Vulcans, Pakleds, and Borg. Uh, Any first impressions about this show? Let's start with our new guest, Andrew. What did you think of Wishjush? So I thought it was the most lower decksy of the lower decks episodes, obviously, because it did show the Lower Decks in several different locations and different cultures. My far and away favorite being the Vulcans was just fantastic to see them and their tense interactions. (laughs) Very tense. (laughs) When I finished watching this episode, I had to go back to the episode index because I thought there'd been a mistake. I thought I had just watched the season finale because it was such a good episode and tied back Mm. into the Packlet conflict, which last season ended with. I was like, this would be a great way to end the season. It was just that great an episode. And no, it was actually the penultimate episode. Yeah, I got such a kick out of the little jumps to the other ships. Like, I didn't, once I got the Klingon one, I'm like, cool, we're going to see the Klingon lower decks for the rest of the episode. And then all of a sudden, like, they start making fun of Vulcans. And I'm like, no, you're going to do it? And then they did it. And then, then, but the jump to the Pakled caught me off guard. I burst out laughing at my screen. And then a credit seeing the Borg lower decks. Uh, So good. (laughs) So good. I watched through the whole thing. There was no point to watching the whole thing. Right. I kept waiting for something to happen and nothing ever did. And that's the joke. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, oh. Is this the first episode that we had the title credits in a different language? Oh, were they? I didn't notice. <laughs> they were in Klingon. Oh, fantastic! Not the title credit. Uh, just the title. The title when it, uh, the episode title when it came on screen. It's Klingon. Oh yeah, in, in the Klingon font, which douche. Yeah. Douche. Oh, 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 you mean the episode title? Yes. Yeah. It translates to three ships. Really? Yes. Not I. I totally knew that because I know Kling. I don't. Um, the power of being an archivist. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I, if, I mean, on one hand, I do have the Klingon language cassette tapes that you learn that were done by Michael Dorn, where he um, suggests that you have tissues, a paper towel, or a handkerchief handy because Klingon is a very wet language. (laughs) And I do know how to say a couple of things in Klingon, but there's a translator online, so I looked it up. Didn't even think to try to translate the title. Didn't even occur to me. (laughs) That's why I'm the archivist. That's what I do. I look stuff up. I actually, one of my friends at one point, I was like, I'm looking it up. And he was like, of course you are. You, we can't have anything that we don't know that you aren't like, I'm looking up the answer. But yeah, Wejduj does translate to three ships. So, and that hmm. that's a great title for it because really like the Packleds and the Borg are more like, you know, silly joke sort of portions of it. We don't really get a lot from either of those, but we do get a lot from the Klingons, the, uh, the Cerritos and the Vulcans. And I really enjoyed that. I thought that was great. Me too. Did you have a favorite of those three ships? Um, I also really, really liked the uh, the Vulcans. Um, and I felt like, honestly, this show is so silly and goofy most of the time. But I felt like this episode really did display some very good storytelling aspects that you wouldn't necessarily expect from a silly goofy cartoon that's like largely sort of poking at star trek conventional stuff but like using the three different ships to tell a story that was all going to come together was really great i really enjoyed how they did that that you don't see how it all comes together until the end but you think starting out oh we're just going to see the lower decks and the three different ships but no, they're all part of the same plot. And I really enjoyed how that came together because, yeah, it would have been fun to just have a goofy here at the lower decks on three different ships. But it made it so much better to have all three tie together. I, really, the plot really only advanced on the Klingon and Vulcan ships until the yeah. very end. Like the uh, Cerritos, it was all just character stuff. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just thought Cerritos, that was dope. It was all Boimler trying to get his his buddy, his bridge buddy. <laughs> Bird buddy. Yeah, I liked that. You know, to your point, Amanda, about Lower Decks being a goofy show, and it is, but the Vulcan ship, there was, in my opinion, no humor on that that ship at all. On the Klingon ship, there was some humor. And then on the Cerritos, there was as much humor as always. The Vulcan ship had many jokes that were based on poking fun at Vulcan. Like, yeah. they pronounce sensors. And yes. The repeating joke about that sort of outburst is why you are being reprimanded. Yeah, so there's plenty of jokes there. It's just not the same uh, level. It's not slapstick. Yeah. That's true. It's cerebral jokes, which is appropriate for the Vulcans. 
Although with everything in Lower Decks, I felt that the Vulcans were a bit exaggerated. I don't think they're actually that cold and logical, are they? Oh, yeah. Really? And it almost feels uh, derivative to have uh, the whole tale of uh, the Klingon Chita uh, becoming captain by murdering the captain of the ship. You knew it was going to happen, because that's how things happen with the Klingons. But it felt broad strokes. I mean, the Vulcans are really, really, really cold a lot of the time. I, about two years ago, watched through all of uh, Enterprise. And you Mm. do get a lot of Vulcan culture stuff on that uh, through T'Pol. And I feel like a lot of the sort of jokes of how impulsive, you know, this one Vulcan is and how, how, um, you know, fiery tempered and her outbursts and everything that I feel like comes directly. That is poking fun at how T'Pol is portrayed and how she, how other Vulcans see her is portrayed in Enterprise. Right. I, I, the other Vulcans in that episode were how we how Enterprise showed Vulcans like on yeah. the view screen in seasons one and two. Very much. Kind of thing. Yeah. It's it's this very. I mean, the whole thing with Enterprise was it was before the Vulcans were really like allies. Allies. They were more like mentors at that point, and they're sort of seen as a, an obstacle to be overcome by the humans and by Earth because they're constantly being like, well, you're not ready to do this. Oh, you're not ready to do that. So they're portrayed as really straight-laced, really stiff, and very much like T'Pol being like, I don't believe this. And they're like, beliefs have no place. You know, there's, it's very much treating what we would think of you know, while the what the average viewer would think of as not being emotional even remotely is portrayed in that show as like, wow, the Vulcans really do see anything that isn't like cold logic as being, you know, out of your your lane. And I to me, the Vulcan ship, I was like, wow, they are just going heavy into <laughs> how Vulcans were shown in Enterprise. Like, that was 100% what I would expect. But this is the same generation of Vulcans that challenged Captain Sisko to a baseball game. And I can't see that happening based on this portrayal of Vulcans. Well, not that ship. No, that's why I said same generation. It's like the same yeah. era. So it's not Enterprise hundreds of years ago. No, but I... my. What I'm more saying is that's how the portrayal is. And I think that very much Lower Decks doesn't take one particular uh, time period for these characters and species. They're more saying, here are these very broad generalizations that have been shown through every series, every different show. And here are some like very generalized, you know, things about them but they're definitely picking and choosing from different shows because there are uh, species that have never been shown on anything but the animated series and that's a totally different time period from enterprise which is a totally different time period from discovery and you're gonna see different things that they're pulling from because this is very much a show made by trek fans 
poke at the things that they love. Little things like, you know, oh, we don't meet those people until later, or that they changed in how they were portrayed. That's not gonna, you know, affect. I mean, the Ferengi. The Ferengi in several episodes back were using those stupid whips. <laughs> we don't see those stupid whips after that one, that first episode where we, you know, see them and they're all wearing fur and, you know, they never had those again. And Ferengi were very much, you know, not, they were originally supposed to be a more serious uh, adversary. And they were just so laughable that they turned into a very different type type of adversary than like, oh, we're aggressive and, and all that. But then in, in that Mugato episode, they were aggressive in a lot of ways. So I don't, I don't think that the Lower Decks is necessarily pulling from one specific show and time period just because it takes place in a certain time period doesn't mean that they're not sort of poking at other time periods because it's very much poking at all things Star Trek. All that having been said, I would not be at all surprised to have an episode of next season. We'll probably talk about what we expect for next season, where Talyn explains that the ship she was on was very rigid and old cast, uh, or perhaps part of a splinter sect. Yeah, I mean that's how you, that's how you kind of develop these these other races more or species more is because like a Klingon cast has the warrior cast is what we're told in well the Enterprise they kind of established that the warrior cast took over but you know we had the the lawyer cast and the the trade oh, the lawyer cast, cast. Oh, man <laughs> but uh but yeah this is how you kind of diversify that from the general broad strokes in, at least in Star Trek how you diversify that like uh, these are the the Vulcans who don't think we should mind men with others. These are the Vulcans who think working with humans is great, and so on and so on. Yeah. Well, if there is a show that is ever going to poke fun at itself for its portrayal of a race, this is that show. So <laughs> Ken's point yes. may come up. The Klingon seemed pretty spot on to me, though. I mean, yes, there was some parody there as well, but I felt like that was a pretty believable, if accelerated, experience of what it's like to be on a Klingon ship. Yeah. Yeah, the lower deck season was way shorter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're not lower decks anymore. Well, some of them are. One of them isn't. Right. <laughs> One of the things the Klingon captain said, this is a minor point, but he said how they have Klingons entering Starfleet. Okay, that's Worf. And Klingons studying at Bajoran Academies. Was that a reference to something? Uh, not that I'm aware of. It's not one that I caught. Yeah, I I was not sure about that because I I caught that line and I was like, oh well, What's I that haven't. A reference to? Yeah, I was like, I haven't watched all of some of the shows. Maybe it's a reference to something that like I missed in Discovery. Maybe it's something from Voyager. I don't know. Maybe it's something from a movie. Uh, yeah, no, there, I I can't think of anything that's been televised that's a reference to. Yeah, but there definitely could be something in like Beta Canon. Because there's a lot of books. Oh, so um, much. Yeah. But even then, even if this was the first time it was mentioned, you know, like I can see, you know, like some Klingons, you know, going out and exploring what the universe has to offer. Like we have that stereotypical archetypal warrior cast, but you know, Klingons are very religious. I can, I can picture someone seeing like the Bajoran faith and, you know, all the stuff with Kalos at on DS9 or even Klingons hanging out at DS9 all the time, you're going to get exposed to Bajoran culture. I can totally picture 
Yeah, so I'm going like, huh, yeah, I dig this, this, this celestial temple thing. You know, I, I can totally see that happening. I just don't, I'm not aware of any canon. And that's not, yeah. as you always point out, uh, say real things can happen in non-canon, off-screen, etc. But I was just uh, trying to narrow the view to, are there canon references that he's talking about? And I just looked up uh, in Memory Alpha, I did a quick Google search, and I can't find anything. Like, they mentioned how... Worf's son Alexander went to study at a training academy on another planet in the Beta Quadrant, but it was not Bajor, nor was it occupied or run by Bajor. It was a Klingon academy. And I, I even looked up game. the the Memory Alpha entry for this episode that we're talking about. And at the very bottom of the page, it says, would you like to read the other Memory Alpha pages for things mentioned in this episode, which include like culture damage burrito bangs data daughter (laughs) (laughs) but bajoran academies doesn't link anywhere because there is no memory alpha page for bajoran academies here's a a, an off the wall suggestion uh maybe it's something we haven't seen yet there were plenty of bajorans and especially in the next episode uh i mean i can see you having more of a connection to bajor i feel like it's also possible that you know production schedules and stuff can sometimes cause especially right now can cause some things to be coming out at a different time than they were necessarily expected so there may be something in undifferent star trek that hasn't been shown yet that was put into that script because there had been an initial thought that, oh, by the time this airs, this other thing will be seen. I know, you know, that happened with some of the Marvel stuff that like just production schedules and release schedules got totally shifted around. So I could see there being something that we just haven't seen yet, that it's referring to something that either is going to come up next season in Lower Decks or is in a different show that we just haven't seen the episode that refers to it. Yeah, one of the live action shows that got delayed in production because of yeah. all this, whereas an animated show doesn't have those production delays. Right. It could be season one of Prodigy, it could be season two of Picard, or it might not be anything. It might just yeah, be a throwaway line. <laughs> this whole, yep. this whole uh, bit reminds me of just listening to this week's episode of Delta Flyers, where they're watching the Year of Hell. And uh, they're talking about how Seven made a reference. They were talking about uh, First Contact for Earth and how Seven made a reference to the Borg were there. And both uh, uh, Robert Duncan McNeil and um, Garrett Wang were like, is this a reference to something? Did something get cut? They didn't know about First Contact, the movie, I guess. I'm guessing they're going to get tons of emails before the next episode. But it's just like these two guys who are in Star Trek and who know actually a lot about it had no clue what she was talking about. <laughs> and they still don't. Uh, I guess we'll find out next week. Yeah, <laughs> uh, just this whole conversation reminded me of that. Like, yeah, maybe there's something like all four of us are completely, completely missing. It's so super obvious. Yeah. I don't think so, but it'd be funny. <laughs> <laughs> that reminds me of there's uh, the folks from Loading Ready Run have talked sometimes about how they'll get asked questions in panels about like, oh, so in this sketch, you did this, and was this a reference to this? And they're like, we have no memory of doing either of those (laughs) sketches. Because 
they do them and then they don't, they're not rewatching them over and over and over again because they're in the middle of doing the next thing. So a lot of times I feel like people who are in a show, they're not necessarily sitting back and watching all of the previous canon multiple times, um, whereas fans are. And if you're in the middle of filming, you know, a new season of something, you're not spending your spare time going back and re-watching older episodes of a different show. You're you're probably doing something completely different <laughs> because you've got to have some downtime. At the other end of the spectrum, you have Star Trek Lower Decks, which is nothing but references to what's coming. Yeah, very much. Well, we'll have to see if Section 31 has something oh, going God. on. But then, if you listeners know what this is a reference to, <laughs> put it in the comments below. Let us know. That's right. A couple of smaller things. I really, like, these are just throwaway observations, but when Beckett and her mom are playing Clue, mm-hmm. and they were like, it, it was this person in this room with the sniper rifle that shoots through walls. Yes. Which is yep. a very specific DS9 reference right there. <laughs> And of course it's the chef. Why do we have a chef? We have a chef. Super sketchy. Tell that. Uh, to and also we, and and we saw and we saw the shirt that they wear on the Cerritos when yeah. they're off duty. Yes. Cerritos. <laughs> <laughs> Which is now a shirt you can buy at startrek.com. Nice. Oh my nice. god. I feel so like you can I pair need it that. With your disco shirt. Yeah. <laughs> disco Ritos. I love that they went with the Pepto-Bismol blood for Klingons. It's really good, right? And they re- we reference it too, like Klingon blood flows as British, British pink as ever. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, just a very, it's very good at taking a lot of the things yeah. that like we as fans have sort of chuckled about or, you know, obsessed over and just poking at them really hard. And I, I appreciate that about this show mm-hmm. so much. Before my actual point here, I I love the pack leads like that alarm, that alarm. The whole like board was saying the sentence halfway through. Red alarm. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I'm gonna say is we get uh, watching rewatching the episodes this morning. I kind of forgot that this episode they point out because the Klingons are or this Klingon ship is giving weaponry to the pack leads or this Klingon captain, and the pack leads like. We wanted to test the Beruvian bomb, and it won't work anymore because they tested it. Well, like, <laughs> uh, that totally is a little thing to the finale of the next episode. Yep. Yeah. Although I find it hard to believe that a a single rogue Klingon is arming enough packleds to destabilize the Alpha Quadrant. I feel like this one captain is probably collaborating with other Klingons who feel similarly. I would have to agree. I feel like, you know, as, as aggressive as Klingons can be and how much, as much weaponry as one ship can probably hold, it's most likely that there are other, other folks doing the same thing. Um, I was about to suggest that, you know, maybe just give them the technology. No, that'd be pointless. Or the technology yeah, to build your right. own. No, they can't. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's no. not going to happen. No. They, would, they would have already blown themselves up if you tried to do that. And besides, Absolutely. the, the packleds wouldn't take it. Because the packleds know that, like, they're smart about how stupid they are. They mm-hmm. know that they're not going to build it themselves. They know that they can't build it themselves. And why should they have to? 
they can force someone else to build it. He is right. smart. Yeah. <laughs> like, why, why be taught how to do a thing if you can just kidnap the person who does the thing? You know? Yep. So they they don't need to learn how to do something. And if you offered to teach them how to do something, give them schematics, they'd be like, no, you give it to us. <laughs> they they wouldn't take just the schematics. And I think that was that was very in character. <laughs> that was very right for them. Um, but yeah, I think Sabrell's right. There's no way it's one rogue captain. There there's something else going on. Can I just back up? three episodes and i'm sure ken and sabriel you guys talked about this and say how delighted i was in the spy humongous that the packlids are still trying to get the secret to the crimson shield yes (laughs) very good as long as we have that we have the advantage yep (laughs) also uh going off topic from the packlids a bit i gotta say that this episode the animation was really impressive especially of the vulcan ship I just think that it, uh, there are other minor things that if you compare season one to season two, you can see that they've really stepped things up a notch. And I feel like, I feel like it was much more apparent in this particular episode, seeing the different kinds of ships, five different kinds of alien ships. And it was just really impressive. I, I would agree. Uh, I mean, the Klingon ship was really well done. Uh, I mean, you just said that, but I was just like, I was, I was totally blown away by that too. I like that a lot. As the official model maker of this crew, <laughs> I very much appreciate the uh, the attention to detail that has gone into the modeling of the ships in this season, and of course, the models of the model ships and <laughs> the uh, in first first contact, the Cerritos, of course, gets a lot more attention to its model as well. Before we get to that final episode, a few more th- a few more closing thoughts on wish douche, including I assume that we're going to see these Vulcan and Klingon new characters again. I was really hoping that Talyn is being transferred to the Cerritos. That would make sense to me. Yeah. 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 So they've actually done a little bit in expanding the lower decks. Like we've got our four core characters, but now we've got. um, there's Jessica, yeah, there's yep, Jessica. Uh, Jet, Jennifer, Jennifer. yeah, um, yep. it was one of those J names, um, and uh, there's a Jet, yep. Um, yep, who's only really shown up a couple of times, but hopefully we'll- He's in the background back. a lot, though, yeah. so he's around, and we've got our red shirt crew, <laughs> so- Oh, yeah, yeah. And we have, like, we've even gotten to know more about the chief engineer and his renaissance background. <laughs> his LARPing background. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and we know more about Shax. Uh, I mean, yeah. he was a major character the first season, and he's back <laughs> somehow. Yeah. We don't know how. Inexplicably. Uh, but we know that, you know, he didn't have time to learn how to throw pots in, at, in Bajor. That's one of the things we learned in this episode. Yeah, yeah. And don't, and don't talk to him about it either. Yeah, he, he was busy fighting. And yeah, we've gotten to know, we got to know in this season, uh, I guess a little bit more about Donna. <laughs> she likes boxes. Yeah, right? Um. Yeah, she's great. And mountain climbing. I love her so much. Got the whole Star Trek Six reference oh with the mountain climbing. Yep. And the boot. Yeah, that was, that was a great episode, scene. Right? That, was, that was this episode. Star Trek Five. Yeah, it was. Five. Yeah. Yeah, it's five, not six. You know, I was surprised that we did not get J.G. Hertzler as a Klingon. Not yet. 
No, in this episode with how many there were, I was just surprised they didn't have him in there. It's true because he I'll and Jeffrey to... Combs are in everything. Yeah, I kept listening for him. He wasn't there. <laughs> oh, Jeffrey Combs. <laughs> All right, so we do have another whole episode we to do. talk about. Shall we move on to first first contact? Sure. Uh, also known as the episode, I call this episode gay. Yeah. <laughs> You want to talk about that, Sabriel? Uh, I mean, sure. But Andorians are my favorite Star Trek uh, people already. And then Love them. Uh, the whole episode, like, we have Jennifer and Mariner having this whole thing. <laughs> and by the end, yes, I am all for this. Little yeah, I, I ship it. Relationship. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I read an interview that supposedly that's going to be a thing in season three. Yeah. I- Getting there. <laughs> Success. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I had to say. And so, Sabriel, it sounds like you approve of this more than of my oh, God. P- prediction. So, Amanda and Andrew, I had predicted, not I was not hoping for this, to be clear, but my expectation was that by the end of season two, they were going to put Beckett and Boimler together. Oof. And that, that did not happen. And now we're told in season three that Beckett's going out with Jennifer. I'm way more on board for Beckett and Jennifer than oh, I would too. have been. Yeah. I I was a little nervous that they were gonna do Boimler and, and Mariner. And I was not looking forward to that prospect. Because I don't think they would make for a good couple. The characters as written make really awesome friends and foils for each other. And turning that into a romantic relationship is is a little frustrating and also takes away, I think, from both characters' individual stories because you then have to link them as a couple constantly. And mm-hmm. they are very much out of the four main characters. They are the two like characters that are really centered on the vast majority of the time. And I think if you have them as a couple, then there's that takes over their story somewhat. Whereas if they're always sort of foils for each other, then they can each have individual stories that don't always come back to, but they're a couple and what will this do to their relationship? (laughs) Yeah, gross, right? (laughs) And so I, I feel like it was a good idea to not do that. And also it allows them to expand the core group by having a different love interest for at least one of them. Um, because then you get this whole new interesting character with the Andorians. Um, and also, I also love the Andorians very, very, very mm-hmm. much. Dis- developed a, a, a true love for the Andorians while watching Enterprise. And Amanda, you pointed out that that the Andorians get special space helmets. Yeah, they do. They get special space helmets with spaces for their antenna. They used, we had those in Discovery. Which I love. I think it's so good. <laughs> they even used the um, appropriate, uh, not pronoun, but um, I guess maybe it is for Jennifer's last name. Mm. Um, Shirian, because Andorians have four genders. Yep. And they used the appropriate one for her. So that was cool. So maybe they're going to make that canon. I guess it's still beta canon. It's not yeah. real. I'm very much looking forward to more uh, Andorians just in general. I know there's an Andorian character in one of the other upcoming shows. 
which one is it? Is it the Strange New Worlds? Yeah, Strange, Strange New Worlds. New Worlds. Yeah. And I was Played really by Bruce Horak. It's yeah, one of the uh, the white Andorians, the blind Andorians. Yeah, the Anar. And I was really excited not only to see an Anar coming in, but also that the casting is so good. So I'm really excited about that. But that gives me hope that like we're going to have more Andorian fun just in any show. <laughs> I hope so. So, Amanda and Andrew, since you spoke a little bit about uh, Beckett and Boimler not being good for each other, what do you think about Tendi and Rutherford? <sighs> I, I'm i of mixed opinions on Tendi and Rutherford. I mean, we get that Rutherford in this episode is so hung up on Tendi that he yeah, he's... has backups of his backups of his memories of her. Mm-hmm. So, there's definitely a very strong connection going on there. Is it a sexual connection? I don't know if that really I, is where this show goes. I don't think it is. Like, like when they were in the uh, Jeffrey's tubes, like they're kind of like going to that expectation, and yeah, <laughs> and they went with that line instead. They're subverting the expectation there. And cause yeah, I really thought they were going to kiss right there. See, I didn't. Oh. I don't know. But then you, know. you just said that you, you just said they were subverting the expectation. So what was your expectation? I know. That they I know. I was expecting those to be ham-fisted and forced. Mm. I was <laughs> like, oh, yeah. But I didn't really feel it. I mean, that's what I'm trying to say. I didn't really feel connection. Got it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I think they would be super cute. Like if they were my friends and they told me that they were going out, I'd be like, finally. Well, of course you are. <laughs> yeah. Duh. But Everybody also, knew that. Also, like, yeah, it would be cute. I didn't say. Uh, that I just uh didn't feel it. Okay. But, Although uh, I do like how excited Tendy was about possibly seeing the rubber ducky room. Yes, rubber ducky room. Why is this? Why is this banned? Why can't you go here? <laughs> I, I know. have to Google that. That was a really deep cut. So here's my thing: the Orions are a really interesting species in Star Trek. The whole and this has been the year of the Orion. Definitely, yeah. I'm I'm super excited to see more Orions in general. Um, the Orions are really interesting. They first showed up in the original series. Um, famously, uh, got miscolored by the um, editors afterwards because the um, body paint of course showed up green because it's, she's supposed to be green. Right. And they edited the, uh, the film so that she looked normal and not green. And it was like a big deal that they were like, Oh my God, why is the green paint not showing up on film? Why the, is it not showing up? And it's because they were the editing it out. Process, the people who were doing it were like, mm. Oh my God, she's so green. We need to fix this. Yeah, they were color correcting for the green. Um, but the, the Orions have been around since then, but have been sort of developed to sort of say, Oh yeah, Orion slave girls. No, the women actually run this culture and it's all a ruse and uh, Orion women have these pheromones and it's this whole thing. And so I really liked the little tiny glimpse we got earlier in the season of uh when tendy, tendy. returned to orion yes yeah. love not that. all slavers and thieves and pirates gonna... let's go see my family who are slavers and pirates yeah we're gonna go to a, a pirate base where my um my cousin is a thief um 
<laughs> but I, I really liked seeing that. But also Tendi is so dead set against playing into the stereotypes of an Orion woman. And I would love, I mean, this is such a goofy show so much of the time, but I would love to see that play into her and a relationship of just being a little nervous about like, is this because of who I am or is this because of something that I don't have control over? Like how much am I controlling those pheromones? How much am I like influencing someone without realizing it? Because I could see that being a very real concern and Tendi being as like slightly neurotic as she can be. I could see her obsessing about that. And being like, oh my God, but what if this whole time I've made Rutherford want me without realizing it? Well, that sort of happened on the Orville. If you've seen the second season of that, I have uh, not. has anybody here not seen it? I haven't. I've not watched any Orville now. Okay, then I won't spoil it. <laughs> but if you have seen the Orville, you know what I'm talking about. Amanda brings up an interesting point, though, or alludes to an interesting point, which is just how much of the core of our Lower Decks crew is about trying not to be subsumed by their legacy. Like Beckett is so dead set about not being her mother. And Tendi is so dead set about not being a typical Orion. Mm. And the chief engineer. Yeah, very much. It's not going to be a king. <laughs> well, gonna stay a virgin the rest of his life. In some ways, that's why they brought back Sonia Gomez for this episode was yeah. because even though she wasn't on the TNG episode Lower Decks, she was in spirit a lower decker. Very and much, yeah. They wanted to show this is what happens to lower deckers after they've been in Starfleet for a while. They gain the experience, they overcome their fears, and they become command. Yeah, they get their own ship. And so huh. that was very encouraging for the future of our four bumbling fools. Speaking of Sonia, they made me wait for it and wait for it and never happened. <gasps> waiting for her to spill her coffee. I know, right? <laughs> wait, wait no. no, it was wasn't it hot chocolate that she spilled? Hot chocolate. Yeah, yeah, I think chocolate. so. Yeah. But but that's the whole thing is that they overcome those mistakes. They and do, she even said, I've done far it. worse to more intimidating captains. Uh -huh. Well they subverted your expectation then, Sabriel. They did. <laughs> that is my point. <laughs> Oh, Rutherford, the whole Tendi bit. He got it spot on the first time because she saw Tendi saw uh, Ta'ana delete her record. Mm -hmm. and, she, and she's like, they're going to transfer me. And he's like, what, from medical? And she's like, no. And like, he was exactly right. <laughs> yeah, he nailed it. He knew. <laughs> Can we talk a little bit about Rutherford for a moment and his memories? Yes. Dun, dun, I mean, yes. that is obviously going to be coming up next season as well. Yeah. That was a tiny little little treat tossed in there with that memory of him getting his implant and apparently it wasn't actually elective. With no context and no other clues. Like nothing. who or what? Like nope. Like you just sit there and expect like you don't it nothing to say like maybe it's section thirty one. Who knows? Who maybe knows? It's, maybe it's uh just his parents. <laughs> yeah, who knows? But I mean, but there's also <clears throat> he knows how Shax came back. That's right. <laughs> oh. He knows. Shax told him. And he doesn't want to talk about it because it's terrifying apparently. And so here he is with these this memory that he apparently thinks, "Oh, I thought I saw something I wasn't supposed to see." Instead of being like 
wait, this is one of my memories. I should see this because it's mine. He's like, I, I, I saw something, something that I'm not supposed to remember. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I was like, no, dude, that's your memory. <laughs> it's maybe someone didn't want you to remember it, but <laughs> it's not that you're not supposed to. It's that someone was hiding it from you, buddy. Have some so self-respect. <laughs> Who do we think those are? My immediate thought is that they're Cardassians, just based Ooh. on the lighting. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. And who was it that put the implant in Geordi? That was Cardassian. I was thinking about that. The Manchurian candidate was done yeah. by the Romulans. That was a oh, Romulan. Was Romulan. And, okay. The and then the Klingons also infiltrated yeah. his visor in Star Trek yeah. Generations. So I feel like I Romulans feels likely to me. Romulans feels like a good bet because we haven't really have we done much with Romulans yet in Lower Decks? Not really. I don't think so. Nothing that stands out in the head immediately. Really, Nothing major. We don't we haven't really touched on them. I miss the Romulans. Oh. <laughs> I just feel like we could get Cardassians because we've also got Shax's deeply buried mm-hmm. memories as well. Yep. So that's my prediction for next season, chat. we definitely there are a lot of directions they could go and star trek at this point has so much lore to it and and not to mention just lore and we could (laughs) (laughs) just buried in the desert like data's head that was in a cave (laughs) um but yeah it definitely there's so much to build off of there's so much to to pull from at this point, that it's kind of hard to predict when you're given so little context, because it, it could be anything. They they could go to so many places with that, just based on previous stuff. It it's really hard to pick out. We don't know. The Romulans definitely, though. I feel like I I almost feel like with more of the Anar and. Uh, you could definitely see Romulans because that was definitely a connection there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, again, going back to Enterprise because they were making use of the ANR to pilot their remote ship. So I could see them doing like more stuff there. I could see, I can see them going in so many different directions because there's so much to poke fun at and there's so much plot to draw from. So Amanda. Y'all. Talking about this overall season uh-huh i know how excited you were to have more tana yeah uh and how fun it was mm-hmm. uh, to get some exploration there but i also know how much you must have enjoyed having citation ops show up yes i was saving that <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's talk about dolphins <laughs> i like how they're constantly trying to get people to just come in for a swim uh, <laughs> you look really sweaty you should dive in you know what's great after a job is going skinny dipping oh you know, nothing like nothing like saving your friend and going skinny dipping yeah exactly <laughs> and you know what somebody pointed out on twitter was that those dolphins outrank harry kim and they tagged garrett in the tweet and Garrett Wang was like, it's a crime. <laughs> so good. Yeah, I I love that Cetacean Ops was actually in there. Um, and not just a mention, but that we actually got to see them. That made me very happy. Me too. I feel like they've been building up to that all season. It was very yes. good. It was a payoff. It was a great payoff. It was. 
And then the, their anger that some of the controls are not made for them still yeah. in the water. <laughs> They're not made for flippers. Why would you even have that there? I mean, if they're the only ones who can access it, come on, do a full retrofit. I mean, like rubber ducky room. Uh, <laughs> however, also this season, there was a couple things I love, or even this episode. We got to see the captain's yacht, which we've only seen once before. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of the ships have had them, but we never got to see them until like um, uh, the Romulan movie and um, the here. Uh, but also, I was so happy that they they finally, finally addressed this one little thing uh, on Sonia's ship, the Archimedes. Mm-hmm. When they had the EMP, they actually went to the shuttles to try to fix the problem. Like a lot of times <gasps> yeah. in Star Trek, they say like communications are down or tractor beams are down or transporters are down. And the solution is usually often going uh, done by go to the shuttle and use theirs. Yeah. But they never do. And here they actually did it. And of course, it was knocked out. But yeah, of course. They finally thought of it. <laughs> so I I have to correct myself. They are beluga whales in the Cerritos. Apparently, I looked it up. Oh, which explains why they're so bulbous looking. Ah, uh, okay. Well, my apologies. I did not mean to <laughs> misrace somebody. I I looked it up. It's uh, Kimolu and Matt. Just like ah. Jennifer the Andorian. <laughs> I love well, it. subverting the expectation. They had um. Are they Hawaiian? Day and, like, that's for calves. Oh, are they Hawaiian? I wonder. Oh, maybe. Or are they from a moon? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, the moon of San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> so offensive. If you were from honestly. a moon, you'd understand. Oh, uh, Taana purring with the hog. I love that. <gasps> so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had they went full cat mode on Taana this season, and I love yeah. it. I'm I really into it. Past. <laughs> yeah, Cations love Cations. Love that they decided to just yeah, she's looking for a box to sit in. That's the stuff. Or hiding under the shuttle craft. Yeah, during the um the naked time drill, just being totally a cat running around and also loved during the whole lower decks drill where she curls up on shacks. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that was really cute. It was adorable. <laughs> I like that not only are they going in on her being a cat, but also her going in on basically being of McCoy's generation. Yeah. Like at the end of this episode, when Tendy says, oh, you mean like Jadzia Dax? And she's like, what? Who the F is that? No, I mean like Spock. <laughs> <laughs> she is totally like the, the yeah, the, the McCoy and... um. Wow, I'm drawing Pulaski? a blank. Pul- um, Pulaski, yes. A combination, but with a Crusher's jacket. I love it. Yes. Yeah, it's very good. So the, the main plot of this episode was them trying to save the Archimedes by removing their outer hull plating. There are some high tense action in this episode. Yeah. And I, I really felt like they kept the momentum, uh, the pacing up for a lot of the episode. There was a lot of the lower deckers being very stern with each other and not because they were angry, but just because this is a tense situation and you need to do this thing right now and get your head out of your ass. Yeah. And I, I liked seeing that. I liked them not taking crap from each other, which they do a lot of normally. And they pulled it off. They removed the outer deck and it was like looking at the the visible man with his skin removed. And it was just weird to see a starship <laughs> like that. And also 
they had a, a when they removed the view screen that was really cool but nobody thought to tether themselves yeah like <laughs> when so i when i was in high school i spent two weeks on a two-masted schooner doing science research and the like and one of the big things was whenever you were close to the side of the ship um if you were on deck and you were near the side or you were in the rigging you were clipped in just period. And if you were on deck, you had your harness on so that you could clip in no matter what. So yeah, them not being tethered. I was like, oh, guys, come on. <laughs> You're, Can come I just on. say, going back to my appreciation for the effects and the modeling and such, I want to see a shot by shot comparison of them uncoupling the deck plates with uh, Star Trek Generations and them releasing uh, the, the deflector? deflector dish. Because I feel cool. like it's exactly the same mechanism operated in exactly the same way, but I haven't I haven't gone back to look at it. The sort of big cylinder being turned and everything. And turned and then yeah. turned back and pushed in. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you mean first contact? Yeah, that's first contact. Did I say first contact? No, you said generations. With the Borg? Oh, geez. Yes. Gotcha. Yes, first contact. Yeah, it's when one of their characters floats off. It's a hawk who floats off yep. into nothing. And I'm still bitter about that because he was supposed to be the first openly gay Starfleet mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. Yep. Still bitter. Always bitter. <laughs> I love when Kayshawn was like, can't we just warp away and warp back? And everyone was like, no! no! <laughs> and like someone in the background is getting ready to punch him. Like they're getting ready for fisticuffs. And like, yes, that would have been the easy solution, but we need to do this for the plot. Uh, <laughs> Just don't. Come on, man. It was Lower Decks completely addressing that, yes, this would have worked. Uh, And I loved it. (laughs) I just found out the person who played Sonia Gomez here was the original actress. Yes, it was. Oh, yeah. I looked it up. I didn't realize that. I I knew that when I watched the episode. What I found out this morning was that she also was in Total Recall as the three-breasted alien. That one I knew. (laughs) That was news to me. I thought this was fun. I thought it w- it did a really nice job um, of sort of bringing the conflict around, but also giving the crew something serious to deal with. Because you know, I've mentioned several times it's a goofy show, but I like that the that character tension when things are dire is real. It's not like oh well, things are dire and we're still going to goof off. Yeah, I, I remember at the end of Discovery Season 2, there were some concerns about how there's this whole war going on around them, and Spock and Michael still find time for long, meaningful conversations. <laughs> yeah. Uh, th- that didn't feel like it was happening in this episode. They were like, no, we don't have time to be tender. I'm like, yes, you have to go yes, to apologize to your mother. Let's get to, get to work. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. You know, that, that was all. They said only what needed to be said without having a long conversation about it. Uh, so the finale, the f- final part of it, when we thought, uh, so chances the Packlets blew themselves up. High. Super <laughs> high. Yeah. But then how did she get framed for it? I agree with you, Sabriel, but how did it get pinned on her? Yeah. Because mm. I rewatched the episode where she tried to broker a piece, the Spy Humongous, and I don't see her giving any gifts to the Packlet that could have hidden a bomb. No, but... No. The Packleds are also good manipulators. Um, so it, not all of them were on the planet. There were ships 
out there, so they could have blamed it on her. Though I don't know how they could have blamed it on her and not Captain Janeway. And <laughs> so, quick point of order here: Is Janeway a captain in this timeline, or would she have been an admiral at this point? I just she assumed was... that the Packlids don't know that she's been promoted. Oh, I don't. I think they just I think don't... all women are Janeway. Yeah, she's an admiral. Yeah, she's a yeah. She's a female captain, therefore she's Janeway, Andy. That's okay. uh, there's only right. one female captain in in Starfleet, and it's Janeway. <laughs> they watched Voyager. Yeah. yeah, they watched the show Voyager, and and that was it. They watched they yeah. watched the historical records, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Those uh, poor to... people. <laughs> so Lower Decks did not end season one on a cliffhanger. Clearly, nope. they left no. threads to be explored, but it wasn't a cliffhanger per se. So this was something new that I was not expecting. As soon as she walked into the room, and I saw command, I saw security gold there. I knew something was up. Yeah, but I did yeah. not expect why she was getting arrested. I kind of figured she was going to get arrested. But I thought it was for something she had done in this episode, and I was like, mm. "Oh, blowing up a planet—that's not that's cool. new. How'd that happened, <laughs> yeah. and that's not te- something to be taken lightly either. Like, how often does that happen? Like, it's either the Vulcan or the Romulan world blew up, depending on what timeline you're in, and that's kind of it as far as home worlds go. Well, I mean, let's face it—the Pac-Led planet was going to get blown up at some point. That's true. Yeah. Like, it's amazing. Somebody, it's I mean, amazing they lasted this long. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. With people giving them all sorts of explosive things. You know, my guess is that they... It gives them an opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> it worked, but now it, it stopped working. <laughs> oh, no. It's true because the... Well, the Klingon who warped away at the end of episode nine... They did that only after having beamed another bomb over to the Packlet ship. Mm-hmm. And then that Packlet ship escaped. So they did have another bomb. Yep. And one episode later, we find out that, yes, it went off. But that means that the timing of them getting the bomb, not that this can be proven yet, they got the bomb well after Janeway went to visit them. <laughs> yeah. So they haven't had the bomb that long. So this is a really interesting setup. Well, of course, she was, you know, she had an alibi. She was in the middle of another mission. Of course. You know, they are. They They even said that. Yeah. They made a point of it. (laughs) That she must have been, you know, set it up beforehand. It could be misinformation from the Packleds. It could be misinformation from the Klingons. But they must have some pretty good proof because this is so out of Freeman's character that they didn't they didn't question her first they just immediately arrested her maybe there's some political where they had to appear to arrest her and they're like look we know you're not likely to have done this but people are watching well also she was very vocal throughout the season about how dealing with the packleds in the last season is going to be her ticket to a higher rank or more recognition because she was banking on that when she was trying to get into the party during the duplers she mentions it i I think like once an episode at least that like but we dealt with the pack leads you know it was like a big deal to her so she's been very vocal to a lot of people about how her involvement and the cerritos's involvement should be recognized so I could see that being used in like an episode about like, well, I would never do this. Well, would you never do this? 
you see certainly seem to have a vendetta against them. You certainly seem to hate them using all of that footage. You know, let's, let's say they do um, a shades of gray episode and it's all flashbacks, right? And it's all flashbacks of her talking about Packlets. Uh, maybe think of just like the Klingons and Kirk's uh, trial too. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah. So I just Amanda, I that. love that you brought up Shades of Grey because I know exactly <laughs> how I would handle that for this show. Because the whole point of Eclipse episode is that you do it to save budget by not by using footage that's already available. Right. But if I was doing this show, I would have every clip be different from the original airing. Hmm. So they'd have to reanimate everything. It wouldn't save them any money, but it would be a great, <laughs> great fun thing to do a clip episode where all the clips are not actually clips. Yes. And why would they do that? Well, they could show the edited records of, you know, not what actually happened, but what the... Someone having tampered with them. Oh, yeah. falsified records. Yeah. Got it. It would be like an uh, episode with Riker when he's accused of killing that uh, the scientist. Oh, that's right. And they do all the holodeck stuff. Yeah, that that was a real Rashomon episode. Yeah. Tom Paris, and he was accused of killing that dude. Oh, yeah, yeah, the bird guy. (laughs) That's right. Uh, There have been a lot of... Well, a few times. There have been a lot of trials (laughs) with mishandled evidence in Star Trek's history. Well, maybe if they just had a good lawyer cast, we wouldn't have this problem. I know, right? <laughs> like, I, so here's the thing. I do not love courtroom dramas. And when I was watching Enterprise, I was watching it at the same time as a good friend of mine who was the one who was like, you should watch Enterprise. And I got to the episode, the episode where Archer is on trial with the Klingons. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Not just courtroom drama, but Klingon courtroom drama. No thanks. It's just about. I know, right? It's the best of both worlds. (laughs) Oh God! (laughs) Uh, Well, there's a few episodes. An episode of if you ever watch uh, the um, wow. Thank you. Uh, Wow, you actually got that too. Uh, (laughs) uh, There is a courtroom episode. I think it's pretty good. But just to warn you, in the first season, near the beginning, there is one. Okay. Don't let it turn you off. <laughs> I, I'm not a big Seth MacFarlane fan. That's same here. My wife That's why I hates yeah. him. And she loved the show. I, I just can't. I can't with him. Uh-huh. I mean, we, where this is going long, but I could go into like how, <laughs> yeah, like, I, I know the feeling. I'm kind of the similar mindset. Ended up loving that show. Uh, didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when Discovery was the only new Star Trek, Sabriel and I talked about what are we going to do for our podcast between seasons? And we're like, well, maybe we can review the Orville. And the time for that has passed because now there is no time when there isn't new Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, there is always new Star An Trek. embarrassment of Star Trek. So much Star yes. Trek. So as Sabriel said, this is going to be long, but I yep. want to ask about the season in general. Uh, I'm sure you all have your f- impressions, but there's one comment in particular from everyone's mutual friend, Susan Arndt. She said on Twitter that Lower Decks is great when it's not trying to be funny. What do you think about that? I I can agree with that because to be quite honest, like a lot of the times, like I don't get excited to talk about Lower Decks. A lot, like like Discovery, I do, 
And then like Laura Dex here, I'm like, yeah, okay, yep, that was an episode. And there is a lot of humor. Like I'll sit here chuckling to myself, but when they actually do like a plot, like this whole this episode was really good. I enjoyed this episode a lot. Uh, but when like I can find the amusement in the episodes, like the one where they do um uh gathering the artifacts and it shows all the references to the old shows. We're like, yeah, I get a laugh out there, but I don't get enjoy t- enjoyment talking about it as much as I do like discovery or just plot episodes. So I think Lower Decks, its biggest advantage is that, as Amanda said, it's by Star Trek fans for Star Trek fans about Star Trek fans. A lot of the enjoyment for certainly me and I think certainly for you folks is the, oh, I get that reference, you know, how deep a cut can they make and we still get it. And you get that sort of sense of satisfaction. Oh, yeah, that was that's something that I've always wondered about. <laughs> Why don't they use the shuttlecraft? So I think that's its biggest selling point. Uh, and I don't know. Sometimes that plays very much into the humor of the show because they're sort of poking fun and uh, pointing out discrepancies like the Mugados have 10 different ways of pronouncing it. <laughs> And those are funny. But is that really... I'm not sure that's what the show is about, really. I don't know. I think that um, sometimes the humor is fun to watch, but it doesn't necessarily need discussion. You know, there's a big difference between something that is enjoyable and something that you're going to talk about. Nothing Nothing, you know... Not everything has to be talked about constantly. And I realize I'm saying this on a podcast, but (laughs) my point being that like you can enjoy a show and just enjoy it and find it funny and find it fun to talk about with your friends as like, oh yeah, that was really funny without it needing to always be something that you can analyze. So I think there's, there's a big difference between types of shows that you're going to talk about and how you talk about them. And I don't think that makes one better than another. They're just different. I enjoy talking about it, but I always think like every, every couple of weeks, I'm like, hmm, what am I going to say? And then yeah. we get here. I'm great. And I'm having a great time. <laughs> but then like, huh, like what did I get from that episode? I don't know. <laughs> I think I just enjoyed, you know, just yeah. the experience of it, but not at a deeper level, like the other Star Treks. And I don't think it necessarily needs to be enjoyed on a deeper level in the same way that say discovery would be because it, that's not what it's aiming for. That's not its goal. I think, you know, you like different things in different ways for different reasons. And that's totally, that's totally an okay thing. That's, that's, you know, that's fine. <laughs> that's, yeah, how- you don't have to analyze every single thing. It, like it would be like trying to like, sit down and be like so why was that episode of perfect strangers so good tonight (laughs) no no you don't you don't need to talk about that so a lot of what we end up talking about is more the fact that it's so referential to what we liked um about other star treks and if it was just an animated star trek that was supposed to be funny without all these deep cuts i don't know if we would have as much to talk about with it until they start doing these long plots and i do really appreciate that there was a sort of through line for this season of this plot of you know freeman being like 
I deserve more recognition. You know, we were, we did a really important job and there being a sort of ongoing enemy, but I also appreciated that they managed to make it not all episodes that were just about that because again, pointing to enterprise enterprise versus say next generation, next generation is very episodic and their, their plot arcs don't cover every single episode of a season. They're going to cover like two or three episodes at a time. And maybe something that happened in like episode five will come back at the end of the season, but they aren't sort of counting on it being a whole season arc where every episode is, you know, serialized. And even Deep Space Nine, you know, yeah, you're in the same place. So things that happened in the last episode will affect you. But there are plenty of episodes of Deep Space Nine where, yeah, what's happening in this episode is not immediately relevant story-wise. Like maybe, like, okay, for example, there's an episode with a character in a wheelchair on Deep Space Nine, right? Mm -hmm. And they make a big deal about how Deep Space Nine is not accessible for wheels. It just isn't. The doorways you have to step over, etc. When does that ever come back? Never does. I think they even get rid of the ramps too. Yeah, exactly. That's my point. So yes, Deep Space Nine is serialized in a way that the previous Star Treks weren't, but those episode to episode things don't always come into play. And so while it would have been nice for Deep Space Nine to remain handicap accessible, thank you very much, I don't always see it necessary to have every single episode thread into the next episode. I think it's enough to have little touches of a through line for a season. And I think that this season of Lower Decks did that really well, where yes, there was a through line, but no, it what didn't make every single episode one long plot. And I appreciated that. Because it, it gives you a little more freedom to play with different characters and different species and different stories. And if you can successfully sort of weave in a reference to the ongoing thread, then that for me works really well as a season. How about you, Ken? I thought the last three episodes of Lower Decks were all of them amazing and for different reasons. Mm. As I mentioned, I really liked the pacing of the finale. I liked the plurality of perspective in the penultimate episode. And in the anti-penultimate episode, I just loved the wealth of Star Trek references as they went through all those holodeck training sessions. So good. I know. And I feel like the Lower Decks really demonstrated a lot of versatility and variety in just those three episodes. So if season one, like I watched the first few episodes and I thought, eh. And then at the end of season one, I was like, you know what? That show grew on me. I like it. And season two, now I hear myself saying, this is a great show. I'm looking forward to each episode. Like I know sometimes yeah. Sabriel, you would forget last season, like, Oh, it's Thursday. I, that means there's a new lower decks. Uh-huh. Whereas with me, I was like, I can't wait for this week's lower decks. I found myself saying that toward the end of the season with the last three episodes, but I definitely got there. And I, I have mentioned to Sabriel that sometimes I feel like the jokes don't really have punchlines. They're just references. And there's a difference between the two. And so I I get what Susan is saying. And this last episode, what I liked about it was the moments that weren't funny. Yeah. There is a lot of humor in here and I do like the humor, but I don't think it's, it is actually the show's strongest element. And so overall I do really like lower decks. 
I think it being a comedy allows it to be lighter hearted about a lot of the things that we all love about Star Trek that are ridiculous. And that lets them sort of play fast and loose sometimes with, you know, protocol and the like. And yeah, when it's not a joke with a punchline, I think things are funny just because it's like, yep, so this is Star Trek, but it's Star Trek that is aware that it's Star Trek. And I think they definitely, I think, Ken, you nailed it. The last three episodes really did do a wonderful job of having the humor be funny while also having a really good plot and storytelling. Yeah. So I'm glad they got there and I'm glad that we got all of you on the show to talk about it because this uh, one thing I didn't mention is that I saw every single episode of this season twice, if not three times, <laughs> which I've never done. But I, I kept like I've even though we're still in a pandemic, I've gotten to hang out with a lot of Trekkies in the last two months. And each one was had not seen all the episodes I had. So I was like, well, let's just go back and catch you up together. And so I got to see a lot of stuff over and over and it made me appreciate it more. And I'm glad that we all appreciate Star Trek and that yeah. we're all friends yeah. and we get to talk about Star and Trek And we're together. looking forward to next season. Yeah. Yay. I'm excited. I'm definitely excited for next season. Shall Me we, too. I know this is really long already, but shall we like talk about maybe one thing that we anticipate for next season? One thing we want uh, to see? Sure. Yeah. Just like one, one quick thing. Uh, yeah. Sabriel. Jennifer Beckett. <laughs> Same. All right. I'm hoping for, uh, Thomas Boimler. Mm. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure that there are going to be some haters out there who are going to say, at the end of Picard season one, we saw two women getting together. Now they're doing it again at the end of Discovery season two. What's up with that? How about two guys getting together? Oh, wait, Discovery did that. Ah. Uh, anyway, I love it. <laughs> I want more of it. But what I'm looking forward to, since you already said Jennifer and Beckett, is more former Star Trek actors reprising their roles, whether it's Tom Ooh. Paris, Sonia Gomez, don't care. Agreed. Don't care if it's a big part or a little part. I don't care if it's Alice Creech as the board queen. Spoiler. So good. I just want mm -hmm. them coming back. Jeffrey Combs, not a reprisal of a character, but still an actor. He's just playing Jeffrey Let's get Combs. Come on. In there. <laughs> Let's get J.G. Hurstler in there as a Klingon. Robert Picardo. Ooh, yes. I would love it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So on that note, Andrew, remind us what you told us at the top of the show, which was where to find you online. Ah, I am to be found painting miniatures over at twitch.tv slash Tanatoes. And Amanda. Um, you can find me at uh, Merriman Lion on Twitch, and otherwise you can't find me. <laughs> A lot of my accounts are locked down, so. Sounds good. Uh, Sabriel? Dame Sabriel on Twitter. I changed it. Ooh. Yes. Yes. And all the links on the website are updated. So if you're looking for the old account, you'll find the new account instead. If you find my old account, it's just where I upload pictures on my Switch. <laughs> I still want to follow that account because I want to see your pictures, uh, but I know private. you're not going to let me. It's private. I, that's why I requested it. Oh, well. Did you? And I am on Twitter as GameBits, and Transporter Lock will be back because Star Trek Prodigy starts very soon. So we're going to have more Star Trek to talk about. Until then, punch it. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com.
Yeah, okay. for about 30 seconds. Uh, I'll be right back. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Do, 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 Okay, that was totally 30 seconds. Okay. Back, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect timing. <laughs>